Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, yes. is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, and we are really having those now, and they are the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Although these days, I don't know that we can really talk about thriving. We've and I wouldn't talk about, about exciting that. either. Yeah. Not right now. Yeah. And uh, we want to make this timely. Today we sit in our producer's uh, kitchen dining room because the studios are closed and uh, our streets are pretty quiet and most, most places are closed up. This is a very difficult time uh, and we know it is. We also know that a lot of the things that we've talked about in the past episodes are happening on a massive scale now. We do want to kind of renew the discussion that we started last week on episode 69 mm -hmm. about the COVID-19 epidemic mm -hmm. and some of, the, uh, some of the things we see happening in our community and some of the things we can tell are happening for people internally and what, what, we, have, what we would like to talk about. Yeah, and I, you know, I think that we, we're familiar um, with this in some ways is what people go through because we've been dealing in the world of an extraordinary reality for a long time. We are caregivers. We're involved with people that are sick and dying. Uh, we're involved with people that are dealing, we're helping them recover from trauma and others it's too late. Um, we've been living in that world quite a while and we've talked about it. And uh, the reason I think it's so analogous is because we have lived kind of in a, I wouldn't say a vacuum, I would say a very specialized world that most people don't want to really let in because it, it's not the most pleasant thing in the world to experience and we've told, we've spoke about it is a condition of life but I've seen most people would rather not deal with it and deal with the changes that it puts people through. Yes. Um, but now there's no choice because on a, it's happening on a massive scale. Um, with this pandemic that's happening around the world because it's not us anymore that aren't an extraordinary reality. It's everyone being touched and affected. So a lot of the things that we've gone through and are, are part of and go through, we're now seeing people begin to enter in the very early stages um, of this transformation and this change that's happening. We can't talk about, we've, you know, it's funny, we've written papers before and we've had to modify the titles because moving through crises, and we've certainly done that before with the Great Recession um, and uh, dealing with death and dying and sickness, we've talked about as when people are in a certain stage of it, you can't talk about thriving and an exciting transformation no, yet. No, it can be too soon to go It's, there. it's insensitive. What we really need to talk about is the changes that this challenging time puts individuals through. How do we know? Because we've been there a long time. We know how unpleasant it is. One thing is, you know, sitting here as a so-called expert, doing this almost 50 years, I'll tell you what, when we're going through the, it, and we're in the midst of it, and we have to deal with the emotional states that are getting 
brought up, it doesn't feel very good and it's hard to consider yourself an expert. Um, we all go through the, the very unpleasant emotions of these difficult challenges. And, uh, you know, I think about it and I can't really tell people it's going to be easy because that would be ridiculous. It's not easy. I also want to tell people not to get ahead of themselves and anticipate the worst because that's exactly what not to do during this time. And yet it's so easy to fall into that worry and anxiety and anticipating the worst happening. When we deal with death and dying and sickness, some are not going to recover, including my wife. Well, I'll tell you what, it's pretty easy to think about the worst and really get ourselves scared and panicked. That doesn't work. What we've learned is you got to take it one day at a time and to avoid, in fact, you've got to self-correct because your emotions are going to carry you to worry and anxiety. And in this particular epidemic, all you have to do is listen to the news, which I would discourage people from paying too much attention to after a while because it's going to, it forces people to anticipate the worst because they talk about it getting worse every day and how terrible it is and it gets more and more dramatic every day. The problem with that is it affects people's mental stability and they can't even focus on coping with the present because they're already caught up in anticipating how bad it's going to be. We started talking about this last time about how it is important to have some facts uh, to get some of the information because things are changing uh, mm -hmm. very quickly but to not get too into all of the, uh, all the news, all the media, all the, the things that can inflame our emotions and help us or cause us to lose our perspective. Absolutely, and I think in our, the, the emotion that's happening now is, is causing, and the, and the situation with this epidemic, which is definitely serious, and precautions need to happen, need to take place. But we're talking about taking precautions. We're not talking about going into absolute hysteria, panic, and paranoia. We've seen the damage already that paranoia and hysteria can cause. You can get yourself sick to the point of a stroke or a heart attack, I'm not exaggerating, simply by your, your nervous system and your, the way you are can tune you right into a sickness. Um, it can cause just as much damage um, as the sickness of uh, the, the virus itself. And we are seeing that happen to people. We are, yes. People who have fearful pasts, who've had trauma in their past, others who are really, um, they're fearful, fear-driven. And this, this epidemic is just triggering the worst scenarios for these folks. And we've seen it firsthand. Um, I, I find that to be something we have to address and help folks with because we're seeing what can happen. And it's, it can be frightening to see what people can do to themselves. But if they let their fears and the emotion of it take them over. It's not just themselves, too. It, it colors their reaction, their interactions with people uh, on totally. a daily basis. Totally. You had a very uh, totally. disturbing interaction at the grocery store recently. Someone's fear got in the way of having just human compassion for someone. Well, you know, it's funny, most of the time my staff does the shopping, forgive me, but it's true. But I did it on Friday, and I was appalled at how distrustful and suspicious people are of each other right now. And um, there was a, a tension and a negativity 
in that suspicion and distrust that well, you could cut it with a knife. And it was on a massive, not one or two, massive level. And I remember waiting online, and I, you know, I'll be honest with you, we're so used to dealing with difficulty. One of the things we've learned, and I've learned, is a little kindness and caring for your fellow man goes a long way, particularly under these negative pressures. And um, I was waiting online, and there was an old, old man, uh, uh, and he was trying to find where he, where he could go. And he was definitely, might have had, probably had a little dementia, and he was lost, and he was scared. And I took a look at him, and he was older, to say, you know, he's quite a bit older. And I said, look, come here, take my place. Just stand here, and I'll get you through it. The people behind me erupted and immediately said, hey, what are you doing? That's out of, And I had to look at them and say, knock it off. This is an old man, and he needs a little compassion right now and help, and it's my spot. Don't worry about it, but leave him alone and knock it off. When that, I saw the kind of, agitation and negativity and the survival mode that I don't consider very positive at all. When it runs over people, causes you to run over people, be insensitive to what your fellow man is going through. And to lose that, if, you, if you've had it, to lose the compassion and the empathy and just be so concerned about yourself that you're willing to take other people down and run right over them and hurt them and not even think about it. To me, that's the kind, that's where our primitive actions and emotional states from the stress response go out of control. And they go negative and they get very destructive. Um, when I talk about the stress response, I'm talking in a nervous system. We talk about fight or flight or freeze response. We've talked about it before. Now that's, that's tuning in our nervous systems. We all have those capacities. In a natural, normal state, our intuition, our more primitive parts of our uh, nervous system um, can really give you a reading on when you need to be alert and when you need to run or when you need to fight or just to stay still. But when it's been distorted by fear, when it's been distorted by uh, other things in your life or the information you're getting, and you go to those responses in a reactive way, and instead of being appropriate, you're, you're aggressive at the expense of other people. You may be even, we've seen people go into the freeze response when they do need to do something. This poor old man was caught up in a freeze response, I saw. Yeah. And he needed me just about to take him by the hand, lead him to the uh, line at the grocery store, and just give him a comfortable place. He was so grateful. But yet everyone around him was ready to roll right over him, and it was obvious to everybody this man was having a very difficult time. I didn't see anybody reach out to him. Yeah. And we've learned, because we've been under these kinds of stresses for so long, how to find compassion and caring in the midst of it all. It also helps me, and it helps us, because we feel with stresses too. It's just that we've learned not to let them take us over in a really negative way. We've learned how to deal with them and de decompress them so they don't have the run of our sh the show and make us act very inappropriately. So we can reach out with our training, our our thinking, our intuition is, is one of caring and compassion and empathy for a fellow man. I find that to be so comforting and fulfilling. You know, I talked to somebody yesterday about this, and one of the things I was talking about was uh, why I, I don't want people to necessarily call me Dr. Bernstein anymore. It doesn't mean I don't use it officially if I have to. But, you know, one of the things of dealing with the sick and the dying 
is it strips you down to your very core. And you begin to look at the things that may get in the way of um, what connects you with your the people in front of you. And all of a sudden, you basically have removed yourself from the human condition, probably seeing yourself in a more uh, superior role, more intelligent, more whatever, more educated. And you know, I never wanted to be like that, but I realized that did happen. Well, I don't do that anymore. Now, I tell you, the degree of change in me is so deep that frankly, to relate to my fellow human being is so much more fulfilling even through the struggle and the pain and the suffering. And maybe even because of it, it's taught me something so important about what we can learn to appreciate and feel grateful for, the simple things in life. Now, I know a lot of people have mentioned that too. They look at me like I'm talking Latin. Because when I talk about appreciating the little things and being grateful, I know I wasn't always like that. On the contrary, I've lived a big life, very dramatic, very materialistic. Um, and I also look at my life today and the drama is dealing with the sickness and dying and helping folks, helping my wife, helping my mother, helping other folks that are dealing with this. And I look at that and I go, it took all of this to teach me truly to become more selfless and loving and appreciative and grateful every day. And that's in the midst of very intensive, sometimes overwhelming difficulty. Let's stop there because that's such an important message. Let's come back to that. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Uh, again today, we are uh, talking about the current COVID-19 epidemic and its effects on us, uh, on people individually and on communities. We've on been the, talking- On the world. And on the world. Not only physically or medically, but also emotionally and um, how we have become fear-driven if we're not careful, how we can turn on the people around us if we're not careful. On the other hand, how we could look at this as an opportunity, not yet, but as a time to become a little more grateful for the small things. I think we could do it now, but I think that on a mass scale, that's asking a lot. Um, if we sound like we know what we're talking about, it can only happen if you've been through it a lot yourself, and we have and we still are. And this just adds to what we were already going through. But you know something? It's not that foreign to the way we deal with life and, how, and the things we have to deal with every day. You described that earlier as a living in kind of an extraordinary reality. And we've used that phrase before. And what we mean by that, and correct me if I'm wrong, it means that we have lived in, uh, and our work and our lives have been closer to life and death closer to uh, very painful, difficult uh, issues of trauma, uh, crisis and abuse, and seeing from that very um, elemental, primal perspective, human perspective, uh, what matters most in life and 
what is it that we want to communicate and to each other and uh, mm -hmm. what kind of character do we want to build out of that that's an extraordinary reality okay. and I said a lot right there yeah you did but it's all oh, it's all good stuff and but we we know what it means because we live there right. and um, what we don't really we're not what well, we do share it uh, the process that you go through to, to, to come to those awarenesses or realizations well we've talked about and I want to talk about again what is it like for a caregiver or first responder uh, folks that do the kind of work that we do in trauma recovery what is it that causes people to take a, 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 a good look at themselves not voluntarily but just by the nature of the beast and the conditions of life that they're dealing with and we've talked about how when you're dealing with and I know first responders understand this doctors and nurses counselors people who are trauma specialists um, one of the things that we find is that we don't have, even though we're do-gooders and we are empathic type of people, we still want to do good, we still want to be in control, we still want to fix people and, and, and help them get better even when it's an impossibility. And one of the things we come up against is the impossibilities. That no matter how hard we try, there are situations in life and conditions of life that there's nothing we can do about it except make a person comfortable, help them to feel loved and safe as they're moving toward the dying, the sickness, and toward death. We've seen a lot of it. People come to us for your help now, and they're dealing with the same kind of things we are. Are we able to help them? We are. But what makes us better at it than we used to is we're going through it too. Do we bleed our pain into those situations? No. We've talked about how we learn to put the pause button on and help them and not allow our stuff to contaminate helping somebody. But later on, of course, we're going to deal with whatever's been brought up in ourselves, in our own pain. And that's a very important part of resilience um, that we've learned to do. It's essential. It's self-care, something that we need to emphasize with people now if they've never learned self-care. You better learn what that means now. And we are going to have some very concrete suggestions during today's um, podcast, so we're getting to Absolutely. That. Absolutely. And we will get to that after I want to say this. When you're helping folks or you're in a very, very difficult, overwhelming, impossible situation, that, that lack of control, that knowing that the power isn't really us and in our hands, and there's nothing we can do except be there, and comfort them, and hold them, and help them. Well, and watch the sicknesses take over, and watch the things that can't be stopped move toward the end. It throws us back on ourselves, you know, it strips us. And when I say stripping, first responders go to it, police, firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, therapists, counselors, you name it. Well, the thing is, if you, you have to be, you're forced to look at yourself. You're forced to become more honest with yourself and you find a certain integrity to this very difficult, painful stripping that um, isn't very pleasant. It doesn't matter what you profess to be. It doesn't matter how well trained you are. Um, what really you have to come to grips with is where are you really? Who are you really? What kind of person are you truthfully? Are you really that good? Are you that wonderful? The answer is, give me a break. Not really. 
We've seen people that have great military training and they've applied their disciplines in their life and it doesn't hold under certain conditions. We work with Navy SEALs, we've worked with Marines, and we've helped them, and they're probably the most highly trained, particularly the SEALs, of any military that I've ever seen, other than the Israelis. And you know what's interesting? How human they become, is if they don't become bitter, and furious, and angry, and destructive, that happens too. But we've seen the good people. I have friends that have been Navy SEALs. Some, some have been admirals that are very close friends of mine. And I've seen the kind of people they are and what they make. They care. They're, they're more empathetic. They're concerned for their troops. They have a deeper empathy. And yet they're probably some of the most aggressive, um, most well-trained military in the world. And yet the people I know, these are my friends, are extremely empathetic extremely real and human, as well trained as they are, because they've run up against that. And they've always been, they've been taught something. No matter how trained you are, when the situation faces you, improvise. You gotta move, you gotta learn to do things beyond your training and discipline, that you have to reach deep inside yourself, and you have to find a creativity that wouldn't have come about any other way except through the difficulty that can come out of this crisis too. And that's one thing that really uh, is very hard to find if you are letting yourself be fear-driven or panicking because then your emotions are really running the show. Well, that's the other part we've talked about is we, our emotions can take over too, and they have. We all have that. Um, if we've had trauma in our past, that predisposes us to certain reactions if we're triggered, which in other words, a situation in the present is frightening or it's similar to what we've gone through in the past and all of a sudden it draw, draw, draws out all of that old fear, all those old reactions from your past and a lot of times we see people they don't know the difference between the past and present anymore because the present becomes so contaminated with their past experiences that they don't have perspective. We've seen their health absolutely disintegrate right before our eyes because they their systems are so geared up and so energized and intensified that they blow a fuse. They can't take it. It's, their system is not designed to do that. We've seen it. I've had it happen to myself. It's a very humbling time. I'll tell you that. It becomes a very spiritual experience because there's nothing you can do. You're, you're on your knees, basically, symbolically, and you're going to stay there until you wake up and realize who you really are how much control you don't have and who's really in charge. And a lot of times in a crisis, the only thing we don't, we realize is we're not in charge. We don't have the control at those times. We're on survival mode and that's the best we're going to be. And um, that's quite a breaking, it breaks us. The thing is you hear breaking of ourselves and you think that's a real negative. It's not. It doesn't have to be. In fact, that's where we really begin to find our courage and our strength and our creativities that we didn't even know we had. And out of suffering and pain have come some of the most creative times. Out of the biggest, the strongest, most worst, the most terrible epidemics of all kinds. And I've gone all the way back to biblical times and listened to what they went through. And out of that comes a strengthening, a renewal, and a, a, a renewing of a spiritual outlook on life that they didn't have before. 
That's another point that you've made many times, that in times like these when we're stripped or we're exposed, some of our weaknesses are exposed, we find out really how much faith we do have. Yeah. Not just what we think we might have, but really how much do we have. Yeah, and you know, that, I'm glad you say that. I, I say, I've met a lot of people who, I'm a spiritual man. Now, I wasn't always, not like I am today. But I've been through an awful lot of struggle and suffering my own, as well as helping so many thousands of people through theirs. Well, that's not to blow my own horn, because it's broken me. And in the breaking, what I've discovered every time is there's a power greater than myself that's in charge. And I have to submit, because my power, I know my limits, I'm past them, and there's no strength, courage, or anything, trust anything left in me and that's the time when you realize and it's one of these aha moments that are so powerful under such duress that there's some power that is so much stronger and there's a purpose to all of this struggle and suffering and terrifying experience that is going to come out of it somehow now it doesn't mean we always know what it's going to be but there's no question about it at those moments that my god things are out of control I'm not a, I can't save this person. I can't, I'm barely saving myself. And you know something else is in control. Now, I know they talk about it in a lot of religiosities. I, I know that. But this goes beyond religiosity. This has to some, deal with the very spiritual core of every man. Um, I've seen people who are atheists. And when, they, when this all happened, they had nothing to fall back on. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is there's just this void. And if they're committed to it, they're not broken enough, and I've seen that happen, and they suffer so much worse. And they don't ever truly recover and heal. I've seen it. I've helped them, and my heart goes out to them. Um, I've been in that place, not as an atheist, but certainly didn't realize what the spiritual core deeper than myself is, is telling me. We all have to face that. In fact, they talk about, that we used to talk about, and we do, post-traumatic stress injuries. Um, the psychiatric profession calls it post-traumatic stress disorder. But the truth of the matter is what they have been talking about in, in the military world, um, with so many troops that come back and we've witnessed it because we've helped them, is moral injury. Moral injury. And we always used yes. to call it, we didn't call it moral injury, we called it a bankruptcy of the soul. And we have seen so many people come back, and what we found out is they weren't always uh, like that. In fact, some of them were so religious and... Um, professed such a strong belief in God. And when they come back, they're furious at God, they don't believe in Him, they don't believe he's, there's any purpose to this, how, if there was a God, how could He ever let these horrible, horrific things happen? And we find how destructive these folks become because they've, they've come to us and we see what they've done. Um, that's the beginnings of a moral, and those moral injuries are deadly serious. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure at this, I don't have the statistics, but some of the highest suicide rates. If they've got to be related. It's, it's moral injuries that lead to the highest rate of, of suicide. Yeah. And there's a very high rate of that with the troops that come home. Um, anyway, but... Let's, I, let's take a break yeah, at that point. Does okay. that sound all right? Yeah. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We will be back after a short break.
Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. We are again uh, talking about uh, working through issues around the COVID-19 epidemic. In our last segment, we were talking about this challenge uh, when we are in situations that leave us feeling without control. What a stripping, exposing experience that is. Um, how if it leads to panic, uh, and being fear-driven, we lose perspective and we can't find our way through to what is most important at the time. Mm -hmm. We also talked about that that stripping can expose gaps in our faith. And uh, just before break, Peter was talking about moral injury, mm -hmm. that, that void that can uh, be felt inside when, when a, a faith or a spiritual tradition uh, becomes so questioned by a tragedy, by a crisis, by a, a very traumatic experience. And I saw you during our break looking at an article that was published recently uh, written by David Brooks in the New York Times. Well, you know, I'm doing a lot of reading and writing, and so have you, um, because see, I, this is very important stuff. So we've all been, at our institute, we've all been really inspired um, and wanting to help folks get a perspective and get their feet on the ground, kind of countering some of this overload from the media. Um, we're not saying it's all inaccurate either, it's just too much. But I did read, I wanted to read a couple of things that this uh, David Brooks wrote, and uh, he wrote a paper called, he wrote it, it was, uh, what is this, New York Times it opinion was section? Or last Thursday, the 26th of March. It's called The Moral Meaning of the Plague. He speaks to a more concise way than we do, a little bit more philosophical. And he, he refers to a, a, a philosopher and psychiatrist, his name was Viktor Frankl. And he came out of, he was a Holocaust survivor, and he mm -hmm. talked about, he was one of my favorites during... He uh, wrote Man's Search for Meaning, mm -hmm. I remember that correctly. I remember I read that and uh, read a couple, a number of his books when I was getting my master's. And it's a profound, profound book. Profound, and really spoke as a man who had been stripped and understood it and came back and offered a, a psychology, a psychiatry, a philosophy of the understanding of what man goes through under these horrible circumstances. Just want to write a couple, read a couple of things because I think they're profound. I've forgotten them to be honest until I read this article. It says, life and death can seem completely arbitrary. Religions and philosophies can seem like cruel jokes. The only thing that matters is survival. Without the inspiration of a higher meaning, Selfishness takes over. Well, that's one of the things that happens with moral injury. He also goes on to write about Viktor Frankl. He said, Viktor Frankl, writing from the madness of the Holocaust, reminded us that we don't get to choose our difficulties, the latest epidemic, but we do have the freedom to select our responses. Meaning, he argued, comes from three things. The work we offer in times of crisis, the love we give and our ability to display courage in the face of suffering. And we all have the option of asserting our own dignity even to the end. Man's brilliant. I always remember how brilliant and human Victor Frankl seemed to me. He also goes on to say the plague today is an invisible monster but it can give birth to a better world. And we've spoken about that. We believe it and are in the midst of it. And we've been in the midst of that kind of extraordinary living and work for a long time. 
Um, it says, this particular plague hits us at exactly the spots where we are weakest and exposes exactly those ills we had lazily come to tolerate. <sighs> he says, we define ourselves too much by our careers and the plague threatens to sweep them away, break us down, strip us. What we go through as caregivers, first responders, it's the same experience. He says, the plague demands that we address our problems in ways we weren't forced to before. There you go again. Mm -hmm. There's that stripping. We are forced to do things we never would voluntarily do. It's just too painful. The plague brings forth our creativity. We've talked about that Absolutely. Today. Yes. It says it's during economic social depressions, and this is the truth, that the great organizations of the future are spawned. And you, now you picked them out this morning when we were talking about this, because I think it, it, it brought up something for you. What was, if I can ask, what was it that, that grabbed you about that? The, the things that come out of difficult times, new solutions, new ways of doing things, new organizations, it says. Well, you know, that, that is a, a core of everything that we do, and I'm, I'm the leader. That doesn't mean I'm not surrounded by really excellent people either. We're very capable. But that really talks about what I went through before I became um, a therapist and now the uh, consultant and, and mentor and, and coach that I am after almost 50 years. It's about time. Um, but before this, I had another life and another career and that had nothing to do with what I became, my, what my calling was in life. But what I real, what happened was, I, I'm not a, I don't even want to go into it because it's in other episodes, but I came from a very violent background in New Jersey, and I was in the construction trades big time. And I ran into very difficulties with organized crime, um, who wanted to uh, take our jobs down and, and, uh, and worse. And they did eventually. But I was young, and I had just come out of the service, um, and there was nothing I would put up with from that. And that in, in New Jersey was unheard of. People did not fight against organized crime. They, they would give in. They would run away. They would give up because their lives were on the line. These people were terrorists. They were terrible people. And they knew how to do it and just destroy people. And I stood up against them. I was young and maybe not as smart as I am today, but I still today would do the same thing, but a little, with a little bit more intelligence. But the thing is, they did destroy us. They did destroy our businesses. They destroyed buildings. They blew up. They were killing people, not on my uh, team, but certainly all around me in the community. This was a bloody time. And it was traumatic. I didn't get post-traumatic stress injury from the military. I got it from what happened there when I came out. Um, but what I do remember is I finally came to a breaking point, and I think it was a moral devastation that I was, once you've, if you've been a warrior, and I didn't go overseas, but one of the things, as I know many of my friends did, and many people I know, um, you know, you're fighting these terrible, horrible, uh, horrific, bloody kinds of combat, and you know, after a while, you lose your sense of right and wrong. And you begin to become more like your enemy out of survival. And you begin not to care about the things that are really important, um, that you believed in before it. And it seems to happen, it's common, moral injury. And I remember it finally came to a place like that for me. And my, my very consciousness and being 
was shipped to its core, and I was at the end of my rope. Um, no matter how I fought them, I was losing, and losing a lot. And their, their terrorist activities, the way the things they did were just, they're worse than what you see in television and, t and uh, movies. Even though I had been surrounded by it my whole life, I never was involved in it, and I never was attacked by it, but now I was. And I saw how bad these people could be and how they were. But one of the things that came out of it was an awakening, that I was losing my moral compass, and I was becoming more like my enemies, organized crime, than I wanted to believe. But over a period of time, I was being broke, I broke down, and I was breaking down. And I was losing my sense of good and bad, right and wrong. I almost couldn't live with myself like that. It was so bad. But the awakening was so important because there was a spiritual awakening, not religious, but spiritual. When uh, I remember, I didn't know what, I was at the, my wit's end. I, I finally took a break from work for a few hours and didn't know where I was going to go next or what I was going to do. And I had a responsibility to an awful lot of people that worked for me and that were dependent upon me. And I was young. But I remember taking a look at that and hearing, well, what am I going to do? I, don't, I see what's happened. I, I'm talking to myself and I don't know what I do. And it was almost like a voice out of nowhere coming to me and saying, this isn't the life for you. I have something else for you. And I remember talking, it was, it was God. I didn't know who it was. I remember saying, this is the only world and the only life I've known. How am I going to ever get out of this? Well, interestingly, things as things uh, moved along in about f a few weeks, uh, someone who had been an accountant, very, turned out to be a good man, um, wanted to talk to me. And um, I, I don't want to mention his name because um, his relatives are, are very connected with organized crime, although he was not, although he had a lot of influence. And I remember he talked to me and he says, you know what, I don't think this is life for you. He says, I sense that you really care about people. I know you don't like to let them know that because in the world you are in, that's that vulnerability and that caring is considered a weakness. I know you hide it, but I've been told, I see over the last few years, how much you care about your people and that you get involved in helping them. He says, you know, I think there's something else out there that would be better for you. He says, I think you ought to become a psychologist. At that time, I couldn't even spell it. I didn't know what it was. I certainly didn't talk like I do today. And I looked at him like he was crazy. What is that? And, what are they? and he talked about it. And I remember his kind of giving me a real strong push to get out from under all of that, that I could. I remember he said, I'm, you're not going to be able to be protected anymore. And you didn't even know it. But because of who I am, you are still alive. And he says, no, I'm not going to be able to do that anymore because the conditions changed and you need to find some new things to do and a new way of life. And he says, I think it's, it's right there for you. It's a calling on your life. I didn't even know what a calling was. And he says, I think you need to consider it. And I says, he says, I think you ought to leave New Jersey and I'll even help you financially to get going as long as you go back to school and you get your advanced degrees. I didn't even get my BA finished. And he says, I think you need to get on the road to being a a professional people helper. Well, that was an answer to a prayer. Honestly, I never knew that that, could, that would happen, but it did. And I've been on that course ever since, and this is almost 50 years in September. It was a core of everything that I have done up to now. 
I've seen other struggles, I've seen suffering and pain, I've been through it. That wasn't the worst that I ever went through. And yet every time I go through it, or help other people through it, I see a transformative change that takes place. There's a courage, there's a strength that comes out of me, a resilience that wasn't there before. For folks that have present, pretended to be strong or resilient, I'm a, I'm a, I, I got news for you, that's not enough. This has got to be the real thing. And if it's not, eventually you're going to break down and you're symbolically going to be pushed to your knees too. Because you're going to have to see this isn't an overlay of discipline. This is something at your core. And if you're ever going to find the courage to overcome your true fears, you're going to have to see yourself as you really are. And you're going to have to see that you can get through these difficulties and come out for the better. Now that's not just talk. It's a difficulty. But I'll tell you this, if there's ever been a time on a massive level that people come to grips with who they really are, it's now. This is the most massive epidemic in my lifetime that I've ever seen. I've seen smaller epidemics and smaller traumatic situations. This is worldwide. And this is a time that so many people are now just beginning to enter the truth about who they are. It's slowing them down. And they need to begin to, they're going to be forced to look at themselves. Because a lot of the things they've depended on for security and self-control and, and feeling invulnerable and invincible are being stripped away so quickly. Um, this is a time on a massive level that a lot of people are moving into the emotional state that I'm talking about. I just want to remind them, your emotional state is not telling you the truth, it's just part of the process. And eventually you will come out of this with a deeper truth. You may turn out, I hopefully turn out to relate to your fellow man with compassion and love and understanding and sacrifice. I don't see that happening very much yet, but I know it's being encouraged. And we too want to encourage people to begin to reach across the aisle, to reach into their community, to help others, and in helping others, you can begin to heal yourself and discover strengths that you never knew you had. On that note, on that note, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma, 103.3 FM. We will be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Uh, again, today we are returning to the COVID-19 epidemic and the uh, experience that it is for us and for our community. Uh, just before the break, Peter was talking about, in general, and this is, a, this is a, a life lesson learned through very hard times, that some of the biggest, most important changes that we make in our lives and in ourselves come after devastating experiences and situations. Absolutely. Uh, very clearly that. We've been having a really uh, valuable, in-depth, kind of big picture discussion for the first three parts of our podcast today. 
and I know we want to continue that, and I know we'll continue it at our next, but we also promised people that we would give them some kind of concrete, practical things to, to hold on to, okay. and I don't know if we want to spend this last section. I think we do, that. and I think we'll get back to the big picture as, the, as this crisis evolves. Yes. And when I say that, folks, don't pay so much attention to the media and all the information we put out that even though the process continues, if you get into listening to the media too much, you're going to live in worry and fear and panic. That is not going to help you. So we want to make sure that we just we understand, we don't know the outcome totally, and, and we don't want to be insensitive and talk about thriving right now, but we want to talk about surviving. And we want to talk about things that you can do, real material things right now, to get yourself through this. And they're very, very good um, recommendations. Um, I think that with, there was a, we've got some good recommendations from... Yes, Haloa on staff. Haloa's yeah. been on our podcast before. She uh, found something, is it okay? We, it's from the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, right. and they have a uh, very much a, a mission to support caregivers for the military. Yeah. And knowing that these times are even harder for caregivers, they put out some suggestions, um, some of which we think are right on the money. And so Peter wants to share some I of those. I think they all are. It's just that some of them may trigger in the wrong direction, and I'm, we're more tuned into it. But um, I think this, it's, called, it's called Lessons from Military Caregivers in Mid-Coronavirus. Um, the first one I didn't underline, but I'm going to say it now. Embrace the ambiguity, not knowing what's going to happen. And hold on to what you do know. And I think that they're right. That's right. Don't lose your perspective. Um, okay. It says, it's not a crime, and this is very important, to take care of yourself during these times. In fact, we encourage it. Self-care is something we talk about on our shows all the time for caregivers, first responders, um, folks that are on the front lines like we are, and more so. Because we know that without self-care, you'll self-destruct. There is no question about it. Under the duress, the kind of energies that we absorb through the difficulties, because we're more open and empathetic, and in some ways broken and vulnerable, um, we can. you take that on and don't read it right and don't know how to take care of yourself, it will take you down. So we talk a lot about the specifics of how to take care of yourself. Maybe we'll bring those up next time because it's a good time of reminders on how to read where you are and read your body and be able to pay attention so you'll know that you're getting yourself in trouble and we'll tell you what you can do to get out of it. We help thousands of people come through it for the better. Even though they have to go back to face difficult situations, they do find resilience again and a clarity of mind, and we know how to do that. But um, it says, this is a great, this is from Elizabeth Dole organization, it says, this is a great time for people to reconnect with their families. And this is interesting in this day and age, and, and one of our staff, Kelly, brought this up today. It says you can video chat with loved ones. You can do all kinds of things um, with loved ones. On, and you can, you can go over things on your laptop. You can hold a movie night. Wait, before you go on, let me just say that Kelly was really adamant about this. Uh, that instead of using your phone or your iPad or whatever to just fixate on the news and on that, use it. 
to connect with the people you love. That's a great idea. So, so put down the news and connect with your friends and family. And what she was saying is this is a time to use social media and technology instead of the ways that have happened in the past where it's been such a, a consuming kind of me, uh, technology that has actually removed people from each other. Um, we've seen it on a mass level. This is, Kelly was bringing up, this is a way to reconnect in a, in a way to avoid contamination from the viruses, but to reconnect with your loved ones and people in the community that you care about. Um, it's, a, it's a great thought. And it says, this is another one, it says, humans crave routine. So if life was just disrupted, it is, be sure to establish a new pattern at home that creates familiarity. Absolutely. And this is a time when we are in a flux and the things that we're used to, the routines that we've depended on that we weren't even aware of how much we're depending on them, are gone. They're being stripped away, they're being ripped away. And this is a time to establish new routines. And I know I've been doing it, and I know our institute's doing it, and our staff's doing it, our loved ones are doing it. It's a very... Grounding. It's kind of a it grounding. Will be, yes, during a very uncomfortable time. Yeah. And I think it's very valuable. I, I think that Elizabeth Dole people are thinking. Um, let's see. And here you go. Take care of your mental health and limit your time on social media. Recognize the things that cause anxiety and angst and eliminate them. Okay. Limit your time to listen to the news and the media, okay? The news is never good. It keeps coming out worse and worse every day. And um, people are getting more frightened and overwhelmed and worried and scared and ahead of themselves. All you have to do is listen to the media. They'll be glad to, they'll move you into more and more fear every day about how terrible things can be. Well, the truth of the matter is, that may be technically true, we don't know. But that's one of the things you need to keep in mind, we don't know. And um, things can change lots of different ways. And the best thing we've ever found is to just take it one day at a time. Mm -hmm. Make the best of what you have each day. And don't get ahead of yourself. If, it take, if we're talking about making some, doing some planning, mm -hmm. with not worrying and being anxious and, and out of control, in, in control, um, make each day count. Find things that you can be grateful for and appreciate each day and make the best of it. Even our, during our best times, it's been a fantasy and illusion. No one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. No one. And um, this is a time that will show you that. So make each day count and appreciate what you have. And let's see. Let's, uh, let's see. Mm. Uh, we always feel better when we help other people. Find small ways to reach out. Call old friends, join an email help list in the neighborhood, or pick up some items for homebound residents in the elderly and leave them outside the door. These are really fulfilling, gratifying things to, to do for yourself and for them. What you're doing for yourself is it's a way of beginning to discover what fulfillment, how fulfillment comes. Not through the easy times, it comes through the difficulties. And being able to reach beyond it and doing something meaningful during these very painful, struggling and uncomfortable times. Let's see. Um, Oh, I love this. This is cute. Adopt a family in the community. If someone is facing challenges, reach out proactively by phone or mail or even by action. And I know that somebody asked me for some help yesterday and Saturday. 
and it didn't take any contamination. And I, she was shocked to see me. Said, of course I'll help you, and I'll do it for you. She couldn't do it. And I did it. It took no time at all. And she was so absolutely grateful. And she's mm -hmm. alone. Mm -hmm. uh, very independent woman, a really nice person. But she couldn't do this by herself. And she was, I said, I'll do it for you. And of course I will. Yeah. And I found on my truck today, and she puts a, a flower in, um, oh, in the window wiper. I knew it was her. Yeah. Thanking me. And frankly, it was nothing to do, but it sure meant a lot to her. So doing these things, and it made me feel good, and it really wasn't that much to do. I had other things to do too, but that's that... What, that's what the times are like right now. Yeah. Even the little things are just so appreciated. And, and she was very appreciative. And you feel so good about it too. Yeah. It is fulfilling for you too. And I discovered a new area where we live. It's quite nice. I mean, it's cute. It's nice where, they, where I had to go. I didn't know it existed. Okay, let's see what else she says. Says feeling pretty. Think no, I don't like this one. And the okay, this is true. Um, envision the future in bite-sized, adjustable chunks. Now I'll tell you why I didn't want to read the beginning part because they're talking about planning in two-week segments. I don't buy it because I'm afraid that that triggers people too far ahead. She's talking about planning and trying to take things in a more manageable, incremental way. And that might be very individual for each person. Mm -hmm. And not to get too far ahead of yourself. And take it in ways that you can manage somehow. We have learned this as caregivers that um, we do the best we can. And we have to be quite creative at times because what we've relied on in the past may not work tomorrow. But we, we've learned to just take things one challenge at a time, one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time. And I constantly learn by watching how other people who work with us do it. And it's really remarkable. And I see how far they've come and how much they've learned. And I saw Jenny do something yesterday. It was just remarkable. I loved to see it. It was pretty impressive. It had to do with caregiving and the skills that she's learned over a period of time. And that's what we do. And yet, at the time, when I was asked for help in a certain way, I didn't have those skills that Jenny did. And I see that with other people on our team. They have individual skills as well. So what we're learning is take it easily. Take it in a way that you can manage and go slow and carefully. And you're going to be creative. Uh, like the Navy SEALs say, you're going to innovate. You're going to, you'll have all the training you can get. But the truth of the matter is, when the situation presents itself, you may have to innovate and get very creative quickly. We live in that world, and frankly, it's the best we can do. And that's the other part we've had to come to accept. We're not going to be able to turn the process around completely. And uh, folks that are sick and dying and moving toward death, well, we've learned how to move with them and to offer them comfort and caring in ways that work for them at the time. That same thing may not work the next day. So we've learned to deal with that with people with Alzheimer's, dementia, um, stroke victims, um, people that are really suffering, That, particularly with dementia and Alzheimer's. You think you really got down one day and you do something that really seems to work, and the next day, the same situation that looks the same, you go do it and it causes an absolute uproar of trouble. So, it's just about out of time. Okay. Sorry. We're talking about don't give up and don't quit. And hang in there. No matter how overwhelmed you are, and no matter how difficult may th things may seem at the time, you got to know that as you move through this process, there is hope. And we will be back next week. 
in our next podcast to keep continuing on in this COVID epidemic, giving you hope, encouragement, practical solutions. Uh, the Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that re relies entirely on donations from people like you. Please consider making a donation to help support what we're doing. Uh, that is sctraumatreatment.org. Uh, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. Peter has his own Instagram, and we're on a YouTube channel. We've got that. Um, if you would like some information, and as Peter said, we have papers and resources, contact me, Jenny, at BernsteinInstitute.com, 707-781-3335. And don't forget the book. And the book, Trauma, Healing the Hidden Epidemic, available on Amazon, uh, just as timely today. Thank you. Thank you.